Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to opening day of the 2020 Major League Baseball season, which, unfortunately, as we all know, is not happening. It is Thursday, March the 26th, 2020. This is episode number 66 of Com Center Sports. My name is Joe. With me, as always, my co-host, Ben Nisman. Benny, how you doing today, buddy? Joe, how do you think I'm doing? I'm heartbroken. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be the day that we both look forward to all year. I could give a crap about my birthday compared to today. This is supposed to be the day where all the fans of those 30 teams are thinking about what could be, what might be, what hopefully at the end of the day is eventually them being in a spot that they've been wishing they could be for maybe even a, a decade or longer, or however long it's been since their team has been relevant. Mm -hmm. This is the day to look forward to where everyone has the same chance. Mm -hmm. Alas, we're here. We're talking about this in a sense where we're wondering what might be. Right. If it will be, we hope it will be, but we just don't know at this point. The optimism from Manfred, it feels good, but at this point, his predictions as good as ours. So we we look forward to what could possibly happen, maybe Memorial Day, but it's a very, very sad, mm. happy opening day to you, Joe. Well, and happy opening day to you too, Benny. I, I look forward to a couple of days a year when it comes to the baseball season. The first, of course, would be our fantasy baseball draft, which was supposed to be on Monday. Didn't happen. And now here's... Day number two that I look forward to, it's opening day. And granted, MLB did us a solid and uploaded a bunch of classic games over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. One for every single team. The New York Mets, our team, get the 2015 Game 5 of the NLDS against the Dodgers, which was a great start from Jake DeGrom. And we saw Daniel Murphy go absolutely nuts that for that right. week where he carried us to the World Series. But it's right. not the same, man. they did not have the lead until his swing against Granky. They were down one nothing. they're down 2-1, mm -hmm. and then they take the lead there. They never look back. It's right. a great pick from MLB to decide on that game because so memorable moments in that game. You remember um, whether Andre Ethier should catch a ball in foul ter territory mm -hmm. with a man on third and less than two outs. That ties the game on that sack fly. Maybe he should just let that go, that ball bounce foul. I mean, just, I mean, the memories that go back in that game. And it's just, it's another reason why I'm sad because you just, at this point, the us not knowing right. that that whole aspect is like you're wondering when we're going to get these special moments again, Joe. Exactly. Exactly. I'm pretty concerned to see what they're going to do for the 2020 season whenever, if it ever starts. But that's another show for another time, and we'll get to that at some point. The one piece of news that I think we need to go over as Mets fans, it's a pretty sad day when, when this came down two days ago. Noah Syndergaard is undergoing Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss all of 2020 and a good portion of 2021. He'll be out until at least 2021, per the news I'm looking here on MLB Trade Rumors. Brody Van Wagenen released a statement. At the end of the day... There goes our number two starter for at least this year. And for me, it's just another devastating blow to a team that we were pretty pessimistic on coming into this year. 
And with him walking at the end of the 2021 season, I'm pretty concerned that this is a guy that we might have seen the best of already. And he might not pitch for us very much again. Right. Like you're saying, we might have seen the best and we might have seen the last Mm -hmm. of Noah Syndergaard. But uh, if I'm the Mets, I'm still rehabbing this guy the same. We don't know what's going on again, say for the hundredth time already on this show, as far as this year. So forget about this year. This year's a wash. Right. Okay. Um, Whether you and I, I mean, they're a a win now team. So you're right. It is a blow in that sense. But if they're going to be playing 130, 140 games anyway, you don't know who can win the sprint. Like, we know that the Mets were built potentially for the marathon. Right. So who knows? Like, I'm not not going to count them out because now it's a completely different scenario. Let's talk about 2021. Personally, no, he's not going to be back in April and probably May. We know that Zach Wheeler took two years off when he had his Tommy John. Mm -hmm. Matt's took a long time to get back. say this much it's much different when you go to an orthopedic surgeon than it would be somebody like a family doctor so i can i i, I 
Sure. I'll understand, you know, in that sense. Um, but you're right. It's still taking up a hospital bed somewhere. It's still taking up, you know, some, some, some utility, some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some equipment Supplies. that could be, yeah, some equipment that could be right. better, better served somewhere else. But at the end right. of the day, you know, that's, that's something that the Mets are, the Mets are taking care of and not, you know, it is what it is. as long as it's not taking a bed away from somebody who's sick. I think we can uh, right. we can live with this. As far as the Mets going forward is concerned, I'm really not not concerned about 2020 uh, because again we don't know what this season's going to be. Whether it's going to be 80, whether it's going to be 100, 100, 120, or whether they somehow try to get all 162 in. If they try to get a full season in, I think the Mets are pretty well fucked. Um, if you get it to you know 120 or less, I think you might be able to survive with this five man rotation. We did have a year last year where the vast majority of our guys were healthy all year long. But again, Wheeler's not here anymore. We won't have right. Syndergaard. We have a full year of Marcus Stroman, which is nice. But my main concern sure. now is what 2021 is going to look like. Marcus right. Stroman. And by walks. the way, just to throw in on uh, your 20, on uh, going with the sprint and what you have should be enough. Mm -hmm. Just to go into your argument, I mean, Jason Vargas was their best pitcher for what over a month. Yeah. And they had 86 wins last year. Mm -hmm. So, like, even having a guy like that, you know, and that they were healthy and mm -hmm. staying on the field, you feel pretty confident about that. Now that it's a shorter season, right. you might be able to survive. Yeah, yeah. And Jason Vargas is still a free agent in case they want to go rekindle that kind of magic, despite the uh, issues that he had with the media in New York. But my concern really no, is... I think I think that ship has sailed, probably. I agree. I agree. And... And throwing in another name, and we talked about it on a different show, but Matt Harvey, mm -hmm. no one wants this guy. No. I mean, he, I think he, he worked out for one team, but, like, if he could pitch, he'd be on a team. Like, he would have signed by now. Right. Like, clearly, you talk about a guy that just, like, came and went, mm. you know? It's just interesting. He had his, you know, his few seconds of fame and just disappeared man exactly just out of the game yeah that, that so, the thoracic yeah. outlet surgery really just ruined him and i i mean as far as i'm concerned he's never going to be what we saw in what 2014 you know he's never 2013, 2013. yeah before he had the injury exactly exactly before he had the, before he had the tommy john right right my concern with the mets though again is going to be in 2021 which is hopefully going to be a full season i don't see why it wouldn't be but you never know but you look at the you look at the roster for 2021 and you've got DeGrom and you've got Mats and that's it. You don't have a healthy Syndergaard. He's under contract so they will have him, but they won't have him healthy to to start the season for to start, you know. Stroman walks as a free agent, Porcello signed a one-year contract, Waka signed a one-year contract. You're going to need to sign three guys to the rotation to start right. the year in 2021 or, or promote or promote someone this coming in 2020 and hope that he's a star and exactly. a guy that can stay in the rotation in 2021. Exactly. So at the very least, without you... question, without question, they are going to be pulling from the farm system this year, Joe. Sure. Sure. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And you're talking about guys like Walter Lockett. You're talking about guys like Corey Oswalt, uh, Steven Gonsalves that we signed from, from Minnesota and even, uh, even a pretty decent prospect, uh, Franklin Kilome. He might be the next guy to come up. We did sign a Rosmo Ramirez as a depth piece. He's a guy that could see some innings. But at the end of the day, it's really just not there yet. Uh, I don't think no. David Peterson's ready yet. 
but we'll see what they're no. we'll see what they're capable of. You know, we'll see we'll see when this when this season gets announced, how many games we're going to really have to uh, to fill from the the farm from this injury. Right. Yeah, and names like Lockett and Oswald, although super young right now, they do not excite me from what you've seen so no. far in the major league. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I'm not excited about Corey Oswald. Um, I, I'm not exactly over the moon about Walter Lockett. Steven Gonsalves does intrigue me. He was a top prospect for the Twins and faced a little bit of injury history. So if he can get right, we might see something out of him. But again, right. we're not really looking at what I would call a deep farm in the in the pitching aspect. No, no. But all they need is a little bit of success, and there comes the confidence with exactly. it. So they're going to get the opportunity, just even a little bit of success. And obviously it's going to be up to you know the team to try to be able to develop these guys over this type of season. Mm-hmm. So at this point, if we're talking, we're going into November, mm-hmm. maybe into December. I mean, that seems hard to believe. I sign up for it right away. You're going to tell me baseball in December because we get January, February, and only March, and then we're back again? Mm-hmm. Sign me up, Joe. I'm down with a baseball going through the winter if it's necessary. But obviously I'm biased here. Mm-hmm. I'm playing – Firstly, it's never that cold in November. At least it hasn't been in a long time. And even we've actually had some mild Decembers lately. Mm. And I think most New Yorkers would agree with that. Um, that being said, that I'm only speaking from that standpoint. Obviously, there's the middle of the country that might say otherwise. Mm. But what do you think? At this point, Like, I'd be down with if teams needed to play their games in other stadiums just to get 162 in, I'm down for that. It'd be a difficult logistical nightmare to try to get 162 in and do neutral sites somewhere deep in the season. You want to tell me that you want to do neutral site games for playoff games in November? I'd be okay with it, I guess, in the sense that you would you would be kind of taking away the playoff experience from home team fans, right? Let's let's for the sake of argument right. use the Minnesota Twins as an example. A team that hasn't been okay. to the World Series in a very, very long time. In fact, can't even get out of the first round of the playoffs in a very, very long time. And you're gonna have games. Well, if they in... didn't have to keep playing the Yankees, they would. Good good point. But if you if you take away home team home games from them in November and move those those games to let's say Miami, right? Because we know the Miami Marlins aren't making the playoffs, and they've got a really nice stadium that you could theoretically put a put a playoff series in. How does that how does that make you feel if you're a Minnesota Twins fan who's been watching this team for years and here they finally make the playoffs and they look like they're going to make a deep run this year, and their their playoff games are going to be in Miami? It just doesn't okay, sit right. Well, let me with ask me. you the same question. Sure. Um, and now you've experienced watching games in City Field, mm-hmm. um, and you've even been to City Field. Agreed. But if you are seeing your team in the World Series, do you really give a crap where they're playing it? No, but if I'm a if I'm somebody who lives in New York City and I'm able to go to the go to a World Series game, I'm gonna want to go. Then go. You then, know? Well, then go. Yeah. Take the trip and go. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, I mean, those diehard fans that are going to spend all the money. 
I mean, it was an expensive ticket for me, so I didn't go to the 2015 World Series, mm-hmm. Joe. But at the same time, like, if you got the money I, and you have the, you want to be there, you'll go. Right. You'll make the trip. Right. Fans travel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's just, it it would be a logistical nightmare. Say it's, say, yes. you know, say the White Sox make the playoffs and the Twins make the playoffs and the Cardinals make the playoffs and the Reds make the playoffs. You're talking about four teams in the Midwest that could get snowed out of, out of games very easily. So sure. I'm not completely on board, but I, I'm with you in saying that I want as much baseball as humanly possible this year. I'm just not okay. I don't I don't know that I'm willing to sacrifice an off season and kind of I don't know, mortgage the twenty twenty one season too. Because if you have a shortened well, why off season you be mortgaging the twenty twenty one season. If you're if you're I mean, having a shorter off season in April. If you're having a shorter off season, then you're not giving all of these players the time that they would normally have to recuperate from the season, and then you're asking them to ramp back up again sooner you might see another flurry of injuries. You you see it every spring that you see injuries, whether this year it's Chris Sale or... You're going to see injuries no matter what, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if it's a short... If it's a, if it's a two-month off-season for them, mm-hmm. is that really like, oh my God, they really... I mean, a lot of these guys are working out and doing their own thing anyway. Isn't two months... Even a month off for a lot of people is a lot of time off. I realize they're athletes. I realize what we're asking from them mm. is a great deal in a whole marathon of a 162-game season. But I think I think even the players' union would be like, yeah, fine, two months off. I don't need that much. A lot of them complain that spring training is too damn long anyway. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't know. It remains to be seen what they're going to do. I certainly hope we get as much of the 2020 season as we can without you know risking player injury going to 2021. That's my main concern. You know, we, I kind of, at this point, if we have to wash 2020 completely, I really want a good 2021 season and I want a whole 2021 season. So we'll see what, yeah. we'll see what I, comes of it. That's so far from me at this point though, Joe, I want a 2020 season. I'm, I'm just, with you. Let's hope for that. So we have like a real baseball season that we know we can just say like, you know what? This month is done, but mm-hmm. oh, thank goodness. There's still three, four months of baseball we get to watch. Right. Right. With that being said, let's transition to the to the other big thing we wanted to talk about today, and it was it was something I was talking about uh, one of our league mates, Brian Lebo, about on uh, on our on our fantasy baseball podcast, uh, our fantasy leagues podcast. That's going to be you have the opportunity to create a lineup, rotation, bench, and bullpen for a seven game series for your life. You can pick any player from any era, all time, and. I gave you this as homework, Benji. Let's dive into this. Where, what, what, uh, what players are you selecting for your team here? Well, if you're going to start right in the front, mm-hmm. and you can't go with one, number one on the field is the pitcher, and I have a feeling you want to save the rotation for after. Yeah, let's so do the let's do the starting the nine, and then, yeah, let's do the starting nine, and then we can go to the rotation. Okay, so I, I didn't do it in any kind of batting order. So okay, I'm just going to go around the diamond. Sure. So who do you have right, so behind Johnny the plate? Johnny Bench is the catcher. Johnny Bench is the catcher. I completely agree with you there. One of the best of all time. Um, right. Absolutely. You know, like he's like a ten-time Gold Glove. He was. He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. Who's at right. first base? Great for? on both sides. Perfect on both sides of the ball. Arguably the best all-around catcher of all. Time. Sure. 
Sure, almost 400 home runs, a 267 lifetime batting average, almost 1,400 RBIs. Yeah, strong, strong with the bat, strong with the glove, great leader, two-time World Series champion, part of the Big Red Machine. Absolutely, no doubt. Who's it? Uh, who's playing first base for you, Benji? All right, it's hard to ignore how incredible, though, maybe even a career shortened by a horrible disease, and that's Lou Gehrig. I mean, the guy is just such a machine, like a hitting machine, just basically, I mean, non-base percentage, everything. It's just, right. he's incredible. Yeah, Lou Gehrig's 17-year year career, which was probably cut short by the disease, still had 493 home runs and almost 2,000 RBIs, a 340 lifetime batting average with a 447 on base percentage. No doubt, he's he's, he's one of about hey, three he's on guys. On base, 44 percent of the time. Yeah, almost, yeah, almost 45 percent of the time. You know, just an amazing, amazing career. He's one of about three guys that would be in the argument for first base. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that move. Let's go to second base for you, Ben. Who do you have there? Well, I'm going to stick to that big red machine. I, it's hard to, uh, ignore the greatness of Joe Morgan. Sure. So sure. that was my guy. Yeah. Joe Morgan, uh, 268 home runs career over a 22 year career, uh, 1133 RBIs, but the real big number is the 1650 runs scored. Uh, he did have 689 stolen bases. That's an incredible number there. 271 lifetime batting average, 392 lifetime on base percentage. So that's the type of guy who's going to be at the top of your lineup if you're if you're really thinking to make a lineup for this. Batting order, right, yeah. right, right. What about shortstop? Who'd you go with at shortstop? Plenty well, I'll, go to, I'll go to number five first okay. before I go to six. All right, third baseman, third uh, baseman. Was, yeah, tough one. And mm -hmm. um, I'll let... Maybe we can have the debate right now between these two guys and sure. decide who's the better player. Okay. But it's either George Brett or Chipper Jones. And Chipper Jones, I feel like I'm leaning towards him just because the fact that he's a switch hitter makes him more valuable. All right. So George Brett for his career, 21-year career, 305 lifetime batting average, 369 on-base percentage, 317 home runs, almost 1,600 RBIs, and 200 stolen bases. Uh, did have almost 1,100 walks and uh, just shy of 1,600 runs scored for his career. Obviously, a three thousand. How many times did he? How many times in his career did he either score 100 runs or drive in 100? Uh, he scored 100 runs in one, two, three, four seasons. He drove in 100 runs in one, two, three, four seasons of 21 okay. years. Uh, Chipper Jones, on the other hand. Uh, 468 home runs lifetime, 1,623 RBIs, a career 303 hitter, 401 on base percentage, walked over 1,500 times, stole 150 bases, uh, scored 1,600 plus runs. Uh, I, for me, I would lean Chipper Jones because of the switch hitter aspect of it. Does have, uh, does have that MV, that, uh, MVP award in 1999. Drove in 100 runs, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 times. And 8 of those were, and eight of those were consecutive from 96 to 2003. Scored 100 runs, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 times. Uh, with 5 of those being consecutive. Uh, he missed out on, yeah. on scoring 100 runs in 2002, which would have made it the same 8 seasons of 100 and 100. I mean, it just seems 
more and more evident as we go through the numbers. Chipper Jones is the better player. Right. Right. I I think I think I would lean Chipper Jones there, especially with the hit the 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 switch hitter aspect. Um, right. The right. the argument you can make. Maybe the only other guy you can make the argument for a third baseman would be Mike Schmidt. You know, 500-plus home runs. Yeah, Really sure. strong, really strong candidate there. Maybe one of the most underrated players of all time. Um, 550 home runs, 1,600 RBIs, and 1,500 runs scored. Uh, but now, What was his career average? 267, which okay. takes the hit. 380 on base percentage. It's not as good as uh, not as good as uh, Chippers. So, all right, let's no, move I'd to. Still, I'd still lean towards Chipper. I, I I can I can agree with you there. Uh, let's talk shortstop. What do you got there? All right, I just I can't turn myself to actually pick Jeter, so I'm not gonna. I don't blame but you. I will go with Honus Wagner because I do think he was as far as amongst his peers the best mm-hmm. shortstop and still the most expensive baseball card. Yeah. Yeah. Lifetime 328 batting average, 391 on base percentage. Did only have 100 home runs over his lifetime, but again, you're playing in a dead ball era. There just weren't that many home runs as a as a player. Um over 1700 RBIs, over 700 stolen bases. There's another guy who's going to hit at the top of your lineup, probably, you know, either first or ninth depending on where you want to put him with Joe Morgan. Did have over 1,700 runs scored, 3,400 hits, 643 doubles, and 250-plus triples. This is a man who hit 30-plus triples in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 consecutive seasons of 30-plus triples. That's an amazing, it's amazing stat right there. All right, left field. What do you got in left field for me? All right, so left field is the one position I'd like to pass on okay. right now because the guys that I'm thinking about right now that I'm putting in, there's a, a stigma, if you will, or an asterisk next to their names okay. right now for me to, to really – so we might have to dig in a little deeper on who we think the left fielder is, but okay. I think we can easily move over to the eight. Sure. Let's talk and center field. I would go – as much as I love Trout, I think the the legendary status, the living living legendary status of Willie Mays still remains. So I'm going to have to make him my center fielder. Willie Mays, a 22 year career career 300 and uh, 302 batting average, 384 on base percentage. You're talking over uh, 2,000 runs scored, 660 home runs, 1,900 plus RBIs, 338 steals. 523 doubles without a doubt one of the greatest players ever and arguably one of the best living baseball players that that is still alive and with us yeah all right right field and right field's an interesting one i'd like to see where you go uh, there's with this so many one. great right fielders i mean i guess i have to say ted williams right i mean just the best best hitter probably ever uh, Ted Williams, my I mean, friend, was a left fielder for the vast majority of his career. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's embarrassing. Why yeah. did I think he was a right fielder? All right, then I guess he has to be my left fielder. All right, so Ted Williams is your left fielder. So now you have another right fielder to choose from. And Ted Williams, like, while you're so, thinking about that, let's talk about Ted Williams Yeah, real no, quick. I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really a, a battle between Frank Robinson, who's been my hero mm-hmm. forever, 
while. And mm. then, I, I mean, Roberto Clemente, That's as far one. as I'm concerned, is probably one of the most athletic people ever to play baseball. Like, yeah. It's like him and Bo Jackson. But the, I mean, guy was just a monster, incredible, mm. incredible performer. Sure. So, sure. Uh, I didn't get to see him play, but basically had a full career. Who you could say this guy is just insane. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are two incredibly, incredibly good outfielders. I do find it interesting that you don't have very many modern-day players. I think Chipper Jones is about the only one that wouldn't be considered a modern-day player. Yeah, um, I mean, look, I, I try to go deep, and I, I'm going to go even further back with the uh, starting pitchers. But, sure. um, yeah, you're right. Like, I thought about, like, Miguel Cabrera would be mm-hmm. somebody you got to consider. I mean, the triple, the fact that he won the triple crown, yeah. and that hadn't been done since Carl Yastrzemski. It's exactly. like... Exactly. I mean, that was special. And then two back-to-back MVP years, mm-hmm. he brought them to uh, the World Series. Obviously, they went down pretty quickly to the Giants in 2012. Right. But, I mean, it, he's been such a staple there for the Tigers now. And although I guess he's on the other side of his career at 36, 37 years old, mm-hmm. um, you can't say that there was a period of time where this guy was just the man. Just mm-hmm. like Frank Thomas for a couple of years, yeah. really the man. Yeah. You know, like Early really 90s, was Frank Thomas like a, was, was incredible. And and Brian yeah. selected him as his first baseman, Frank Thomas. And I, I, I can't argue with it. You know, in the early 90s, he was absolutely the man. So... All right, let me let me give you my lineup before we move on to starting rotation here. Uh, I, I, I put together a full lineup. It goes lefty-righty, lefty-righty, all the way down. Um, so... I, I'm, I'm, I dove deep here. My right fielder leading off is going to be a player who has over 5,000 hits in his career. However, only just just north of 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball. It's Ichiro Suzuki. You're talking about a guy who has a lifetime 311 batting average in the majors because he only came over as a rookie at age 27 and hit 350 his rookie year. Uh, 311 lifetime batting average, 355 on base percentage, only 117 homers. That really wasn't his game, but over 500 steals, over 3,000 hits, 1,420 runs scored, and over 360 doubles just in his major league career. We're not even including his Japanese baseball stats in this, but without a doubt. That's what makes him even more amazing to me, the fact that he came into the league at age 27. Mm Mm-hmm. And you could say that if he had about five more years in the bigs, what kind of numbers this guy could have accumulated. He could have been the all-time, yeah. And maybe he even gets even better Mm -hmm. because he's basically developing in the major leagues. Maybe he learns even more and becomes an even more profound hitter. I mean, who knows? You're talking about a guy who, for 10 consecutive seasons, had over 200 hits in Major League Baseball. You know, he scored over 100. guys that can say that. Yeah. There's, there's not many guys who could say that. You're, I'm talking about a guy who, sh- had he been born in America and played Major League Baseball his entire life, starting at, say, age 22, you could be talking about a guy that could have overtaken Pete Rose as the all-time hit leader. Can I add one guy when we're talking about guys that hit a lot? Yeah. Just made contact? Sure. I'd love you to throw in some Tony Gwynn numbers at me right now, because his strikeouts to add bats numbers season to season will make your mouth drop. I mean, yeah. he is just a freak show. And that's why maybe his on-base percentage career-wise isn't as high as some of these other guys because he was just making contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he makes some outs 
sure, yeah. but he will not strike out, and it's just crazy. It makes me drool when you think about like his fantasy abilities. Like mm-hmm. for our league, Joe, Tony Gwynn is one of a kind. Tony Gwynn played a 20-year career, and over that 20 years, struck out a grand total of 434 times. He never struck out more than 40 times in a season. And his worst right, so batting give me, average. Give me his three years where he struck out the least to the most at bats. That ratio. So in 1995, he hit 368 with a 404 on base percentage. Played in 135 games, had 535 at bats, struck out 15 times. 15. There's guys who strike out 15 times in a week in Major League Baseball these days. Yeah. 1992. Uh, he hit 317 with a 371 on base percentage, 520 at bats, 16 strikeouts. These guys who strike out 16 times in a series. And the final one I'll pull up, uh, 1996, 353 batting average, 400 on base percentage, 451 at bats, 17 strikeouts. Yeah. Just insane. The one thing that Tony Gwynn did not do very much either is walk. Um, his his right. walk total ever his highest walk total for a season was 82, but after that he that's the only time he had more than more than 60 walks in a season. So right, again, no, he, was, he was up there swinging the bat. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So Ichiro is my right fielder. I, I definitely had Tony Gwynn in the running as well. I had uh, you know him and and uh, Clemente like you talked about. My center fielder bats second, and I'm sorry, I'm taking a modern-day player here, man. I'm taking the best guy I've ever personally watched play baseball. It's Mike Trout. I mean, in the nine years that Mike Trout has been in the league thus far, he's going to be one of the greatest players to ever play this game. He's already got 285 home runs. He's already got 200 steals. He's a lifetime 305 batting average. He has 100 runs scored every single year except for the year he was hurt in 2017. He's the guy who is an MVP caliber talent every single year. He has placed no lower than fourth in the MVP voting every single year he's been in the major leagues. And that includes 2017 where he only played 114 games. A great defensive yeah. player, an on-base machine with 100-plus walks three of the last four seasons. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. Give me Mike Trout all day. And in, in, in a non-steroid era, in an era where there are so many awesome players for so many different reasons, so many good young players, this guy has started off being incredible and arguably the best player in the league. And yeah. then hasn't stopped, and it's so evident to people that he's the best player in the right. game. So in this time where there are just so many different kinds of guys, um, and the fact that there's just—I mean, there's no—I mean, there's no discrepancy because there's right. no steroids. It's just it, this is the best player. So I hear you completely. Yeah, batting third and playing left field, and you talked about the steroid allegations. You talked about the guys who play left field, and they they would probably be a, a, a divisive statement. I'm sorry, man. It's Barry Bonds, and it has to be. Career 298. Hey, you and I, you and I got to see him hit his 50th home run mm-hmm. in uh, in Shea Stadium in 2001. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wouldn't stand up, and you did. You stood up, and you're like, I got to give it to him. It's his 50th. Look, but man, you love Barroid Bonds, 
and you can't. Hey, he's part of our childhood. Exactly. And can you really tell the story of baseball without talking about Barry Bonds? Yeah, you're talking about a guy, the only member of the 500 500 uh, club with home runs and stolen bases, and he's also the only member of the 400 400 club with with home runs and and stolen bases. Career 298 batting average, 444 on base percentage, career leader in walks all time, 2500 plus. Obviously, the career leader in home runs with 762. You've got over 2,200 runs scored, over 600 doubles. Yeah, I think doubles. pretty much in the top five or top ten of runs scored all time. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, he was a great defensive player as well, an eight-time gold glove winner, a seven-time MVP, 12-time silver slugger. The only thing he never did was get a ring. And I think that's kind of, right. his, you know, at the end of the day. like He also, he also didn't have a great arm. No, no, I can give you that. But, I mean, that bat plays, and, and I have to have him in the middle of that lineup. Batting fourth for me, and this is the guy behind the plate, and this is this is the one homer pick I think I'm taking. I'm not going Johnny Bench. I'm going Mike Piazza behind the plate there. Piazza's a lifetime well, uh, lifetime 308 hitter, a 377 on-base percentage, 427 homers, over 1,300 RBIs, over 1,000 runs scored, 340 doubles. To me, he may not be the great defensive wizard that 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 you would want to put behind the plate, but a 10-time silver slugger in the middle of that lineup, I love it. Yeah, can't deny it. I mean, the, I just talked about our childhood, like, who cemented more in yours and my mind than when Mike Piazza hits a home run. It right. looks so effortless. Mm-hmm. It looks like he just popped it up to the infield and then it just goes 400 feet as Amazing power, obviously the best hitting catcher right. of all time. Right. Batting fifth for me is my DH, and it's a left-handed hitter. It's Big Poppy. It's David Ortiz. I can't turn him away. Uh, 380 lifetime on base percentage, 286 batting average, over 540 homers, over 1,700 RBIs, 1,400 runs scored, uh, 630 doubles. Don't like the strikeout numbers too much, but again, this is a this is a guy that you absolutely can't, for any reason, leave off of your roster if you are fielding a DH. Best right. DH of all time. It would be him or it would be Edgar Martinez, I exactly. guess. Exactly, exactly. Batting sixth and playing shortstop. Now, this is this might be a, uh, a bit of a controversial pick, playing this gentleman at shortstop rather than the position he may be uh, more accustomed to since moving to New York. It's going to be Alex Rodriguez. I'm going to play him at shortstop. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy with almost 700 home runs, over 2,000 RBIs, career 295 batting average, 380 on base percentage, over 325 steals, over 2,000 runs scored, and of course, over 3,000 hits. Give me A-Rod at short. Yeah, I guess. I just... This is just. This seems to be going in a direction of this one era of players for me, Joe. I understand why you pick them. It's just yep. it started going in a direction where well, I went kind of in the opposite way. Let me let me give you my first baseman, and I think we agreed on okay. this one. My first baseman is Lou Gehrig. All right, all right. Three forty lifetime era, batting average. Gehrig would have been unstoppable. Yeah, huh? yeah, you know, without without him without him getting sick, you're talking about a guy who had over five. 500 homers and 2,000 RBIs. You know, he missed 500 homers by seven, missed 2,000 RBIs by five. You're talking the first week or first month 
of his age 37 season in 1940, he would have been, you know, he, he would have gotten those numbers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. My third baseman batting eighth is a guy that we just talked about, Chipper Jones. I can completely agree with you there. 303 lifetime batting average, 400 on base percentage. Uh, it was it was between him and Mike Schmidt for me, um, but I do have another player that, that did play a little bit of third base on the bench, but we'll get to him in a little bit. Finally, my second baseman, and I'm treating this spot as a second leadoff hitter, and at second base, I think you would be remiss, and this is a guy that I don't think very many people would put on a list like this, but I'm sorry, you're fucked up if you don't put Jackie Robinson on your roster. Jackie Robinson... At second base, lifetime 311 hitter, hitter 408, 409 on base percentage, almost 200 stolen bases and 137 home runs across a 10-year career. And again, that's only after he broke the color barrier. So Right. No, he was a good player. No, you're right. He was a good player in the New league. So, exactly. like, it's – I hear what you're saying. Um, I know. I, would he have been a better player than Joe Morgan? I guess they're kind of different, though. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. Um, in any event, that's that's my starting lineup. Let's uh, let's talk about rotation here, Benji. What do you got for what do you got for right. your, your pitchers here? It's just a matter of what we think is the number one. Who's the ace? Who's the two? You know, it's just, right. I mean, any one of these guys are amazing. I'm going to start with Walter Johnson. Good uh, choice. The big train for me was I'll never forget. This little video that the MLB Network, I mean, the, their resources are incredible sometimes. Some of the stuff they find is amazing. And it's Walter Johnson. And someone just, you hear someone narrating how Walter Johnson has pinpoint control. And they put four panes of glass, one in each corner of the strike zone. And he throws four consecutive pitches, and each one breaks each glass in each corner. And I'm just like, this guy's a freak. Yeah. You know? And uh, his staff show. Yeah, no doubt. Walter Johnson was one of the greatest of all time here in the dead ball era. You're talking about a lifetime uh, lifetime 217 ERA, over 400 wins, and lifetime leads all of baseball with 110 shutouts. He had 531 complete games and 110 shutouts. Uh, over 5,900 career innings pitched and over 3,500 strikeouts. Absolutely, without question. A solid, solid guy to put atop your rotation. Who's your number two? I mean, come on, you look at those numbers. How many more? How many guys are doing some of the stuff that he's doing? What is he winning? Like thirty games a year? Uh, he won thirty games in nineteen twelve, nineteen thirteen, but most of the time it was in the mid to upper twenties. Oh, well, twenty-three to twenty. It can only be so great. Yeah, right. They played one hundred sixty-two games. You know, or less sometimes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you got as your number two starter there, Benny? All right, sticking around, I mean, the old-timers. Uh, got to say Chrissy Matheson. Yep. Um, I looked at it. I think he's got a 2.14 career ERA, but that's just some of the, the beginning of some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah, Chrissy Matheson, another dead ball era pitcher, but absolutely worth taking on this team. A three, uh, 373 lifetime wins, a lifetime 2.13 ERA. Uh, pitched in 636 games, 4,700 plus innings pitched, and over 2,500 strikeouts. Again, a guy who went, who went the complete game more times than not, 435 complete games, 79 shutouts. 
Who's number three for you? All right, number three, a little bit later, okay. but still, and another living legend. Got to go with Sandy Koufax. I agree with I you mean, there. The guy's career was cut short, and if he had the Tommy John surgery back then, maybe he could have gone longer. Mm-hmm. But for the time that he was around, I mean, was there anyone more dominant? I, I don't think so. You're talking about a 12-year career that was, that was cut short at age 30. So you're talking, and and his final four seasons, I'm just going to give you his final four seasons. He won 25 games, 19 games, 26 games, and 27 games. His ERAs in those four seasons, 188, 174, 204, and 173. This is a guy that, I, without question, is arguably one of the best left-handed pitchers of all time. Could be the best left-handed pitcher of all time. 165 career wins, career 276 ERA, 2300 innings, 23 almost 2400 strikeouts. He had he had a career above uh, a strikeout an inning, just without a doubt, one of the best. One of the best. Your number 4 pitcher Benjamin. All right, so number 4, it's now we're talking about the nitty-gritty because like now I'm just thinking, "Oh, uh, who wins over these amazing guys?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go a little bit later in time, but this guy stuck around for so freaking long. And I think just the longevity of his career is why I can't ignore him. And that's why I put Nolan Ryan as my number four. Yeah, Nolan Ryan, all-time strikeout leader, all-time walk leader as well. 5,700 career strikeouts, 27, almost 2,800 career walks. But you're talking across a 27-year career. It's an amazing number. Um, right. Ton of no-hitters. Oh, yeah. Eight no, what is it? Eight no-hitters? Uh, it's either seven or eight. Yeah. Uh, an eight-time All-Star, over 5,300 innings pitched. Uh, does have does have the does have 324 career wins, a 3.19 ERA lifetime, which you'll take every single day. Right. And finally, rounding out your rotation. Uh, this is just. I mean, just take your pick. I mean, do you go Bob Gibson? Do you go Pedro Martinez? Do you go the big unit Randy Johnson? I mean, it's just it's impossible to. Denny McLean is the last guy to get 30 wins and uh, I think it was 1967 I mean there's just at this point just throw any guy in there because I mean Greg Maddox mm-hmm. like who was so how many uh, even full counts did that guy even get into because he always started at bat with a sh- strike one right so I mean at this point it's impossible to pick a five if I have to I guess because I got to see Pedro or Maddox it'd be one of those two but okay. it's damn near impossible all right, fair enough. Um, I'm going to give you my starting five here. Uh, I'm going to go with Bob Gibson at the top. You mentioned that guy's name. 250 career wins across a 17-year career. 291 ERA lifetime, over 3,800 innings, over 3,100 strikeouts. This is a, an absolutely dominant man and at the time of recording and still has the best single-season ERA in the history of the live ball era at one point one. Two in 1968. It's not all that long ago. No, not really. No, that's. I mean, that, that's going to stand forever potentially. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. My number two pitcher is a guy we talked about. It's Sandy Koufax. I'm not going to run down his his uh, his his line here again. But again, one of the best left-handed pitchers of all time. My number three is a guy you just brought up here. 
the uh, the 18-time Gold Glove winning, four-time Cy Young winning Greg Maddox. 350 plus wins, a 3.16 ERA across a 23-year career, over 5,000 innings pitched, and over 3,300 strikeouts. You know, for for a guy with absolute pinpoint accuracy and can keep guys off balance for his entire career. This was not a flame-throwing pitcher like Bob Gibson or the next entry in my in my rotation. You know, this is this is a guy who fooled everybody for a very long time. My number four pitcher would be the other arguably best left-handed pitcher in the history of the baseball. The five-time Cy Young winning, ten-time All-Star. The big unit, it's Randy Johnson. 22-year career, over 300 wins, a 3.29 ERA, over 4,800 strikeouts across 4,100 innings. Just an amazing, amazing pitcher. Um, loved watching him pitch. Plus, he killed a bird with a pitch one time. I don't know if you ever, if you ever heard of that. I heard of it. I've seen it so many times on YouTube because, I mean, it's fascinating that that ever happened. I know he felt pretty badly about it, yeah. even though his stoic face wouldn't tell you otherwise. You'd right. think, like, you didn't give a hell. But, no, he, I remember seeing a documentary on him. It was just like, he did feel pretty badly yeah. about that. Yeah. And he got, like, chewed out by PETA and all these, you know, animal rights, you know, like, obviously. Like, I, like I can control no that, like... Just a freak accident, you know, but it's, 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 yeah. it's one of those moments that's etched in, you know, what he had like, did he have two no hitters? I feel like he had two no hitters, but in yeah. any event, uh, and I, by the way, I feel like it took him a little bit for him to get on track. Like agreed. he wasn't like a superstar with Montreal. No, he was not. In fact, his first real breakout season, uh, looks like it's probably going to be 1990, uh, 14 and 11 with a 3.65 ERA. Did have 120 walks, which is pretty ugly, but 194 strikeouts across 219 innings. That was really his first step toward greatness. Um, before obviously going on to Arizona and then New York and finishing his career. And there's this one year with Seattle where I think uh, Seattle and the LA Angels had to play either a one game play in or like maybe it was game 162 for the division mm -hmm. and he just dominated them and just knocked them out and the Mariners went to the playoffs I think I guess maybe that was the year that they snuck in and then they took out the Yankees in five if we're talking about 1990 if we're talking about 1995 that's probably his best season as yeah. a Mariner yeah 18 and two with a 248 yeah. ERA 294 strikeouts across 214 innings just a just a monster yeah, that's season. silly yeah silly my five starter is going to be another lefty, um, but when I say this guy's name, you're going to understand why I have him as my five starter. Okay. And the name's Babe Ruth. Now, I kind of cheat in that I have Babe Ruth as my five starter and I can use him off the bench as a bat, right? But you forget that Babe Ruth was a really good pitcher. He stopped pitching in 1921 at the age of 26 because his bat was that strong and they didn't want to utilize him in that role anymore. He only pitched in, in two games in, in 21 and only one game in 1920. So if we look at the six years before that, 1914 to 1919, you're talking about a guy who was who had upwards of 90 wins and an ERA close to two with 1,200, 1200 innings and almost 500 strikeouts. He wasn't a strikeout pitcher, 
but he certainly was was talented enough. He never had an ERA north of three in his other than his first year at age nineteen, where he pitched in four games and had an ERA of three ninety one. Wow. You know, this is he's he's one he's one of the greatest hitters of all time, and I'll utilize him off the bat off the bench. But I'll take him as my five starter here. I mean, how can you not take him in? And I mean, he's obviously the best baseball player ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no guy that you could say is going to have like a two ERA as well as being one of the best, most prolific home run and hitters right. of all time. Right. So, I mean, we're talking about Babe Ruth here. I have no problem with you putting him in your rotation. Yeah, it is yeah. cheating a little bit. There's a, no way that we're going to have a list like this and not some way, somehow, yeah. find a way. Yeah, it was just it. it was just a creative way to get Babe Ruth onto the team and get another hitter in there that uh, that I right. that I would. Enjoy. Like, I mean, we could find a way to get um, Hank Aaron in the outfield, also. Sure, right? sure. Uh, quickly, I'll give you my five bench guys. Uh, we don't need to go that deep into them. Johnny Bench, we talked about, would be my backup catcher. Uh, my second base shortstop backup would be Rogers Hornsby, uh, an incredibly underrated player. My two backup outfielders, one you hit on was Willie Mays. The other one, Ricky Henderson. Gotta have the best leadoff hitter of all time on this roster, even if I'm not playing him in the leadoff position because I'm playing Barry Bonds in left. And finally, my backup first slash third baseman is Miguel Cabrera. We talked on him earlier. Great, great hitter in the modern era. The Triple Crown is absolutely deserving of being on this roster. And we forget that he came up as a third baseman, so. Sure. Yeah, um... Dan Musial is a guy that you could say mm-hmm. is just one of those other guys that was legendary um, and just incredible. Uh, Harmon Killebrew, mm-hmm. another guy with really awesome stats. I think we talked about Frank Robinson. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many amazing yeah. names out there, guys that we wish we could have seen play that are still, you know, we still get to talk about them today because they were so amazing amongst their peers. Agreed, agreed. Finally, I'll give you my bullpen. My closer is Mariano Rivera. My bullpen is Billy Wagner, Dennis Eckersley, Trevor Hoffman, John Franco, Lee Smith, and a name you might not be familiar with, Ben. It's a guy by the name of Mike Marshall. Are you familiar with no, Mike I Marshall? I don't know that name. I'm absolutely not familiar with that name. All right. Mike Mar- I will say that. Let me tell you about Mike Marshall. Mike Marshall is the right. Cy Young Award winner in 1974. Mike Marshall holds a very interesting record, and the record that he holds is the most games in a season that he appeared in at 106. He pitched on 106 games in 1974, had a 2-4-2 ERA, went 15-12, and and finished 83 games with 21 saves. Yeah, I mean, in that time period... It's mid seventies. Like this where is they actually started recording saves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I hear you. Um, ERA doesn't impress. What was his career ERA? Career ERA of three one four. Okay, no, it's good. Mm-hmm. I don't it, know if those that that season is Cy Young worthy. It's very. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, achievement what he did, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I would go pretty much along like down the line with you as far as a lot of these guys. I would have said Lee Smith. I would have probably said Hoffman, Wagner, of course, Rivera's my closer. Mm-hmm. Um, John Franco to me, although he had probably most saves by a left hander for a while, he was just to 
me it was never really like dominant. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, if a guy that is a Hall of Famer, mainly because of his starting pitching, John Smoltz. John Smoltz was an awesome reliever. Yeah. Just amazing. Yep. So I mean he'd probably be a guy that I'd have to throw in there. Mm-hmm. I think I have the absence of a lefty. Besides Billy Wagner, I guess that's the only lefty that I got in there though. Yeah. Um also Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, mm-hmm. for a period of time, Joe, we forget K-Rod was the man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Francisco Rodriguez was was a lights-out closer, you know, held the uh, held the saves record for a single season at 62 in 2008. You know, 437 lifetime saves, 52 and 53 record with a 286 ERA lifetime. Solid, solid solid guy there you know that funky delivery just always had guys locked up because yeah he yeah. would throw gas but every once in a while he'd come with that funky delivery and throw you a lollipop and you just would be way out on the front foot right never never held up as a met though no was on the team for like three or four years but never really showed up to be in that star status did he save games sure did he help us go on like a little run maybe for a month month and a half but he was never the same guy when he came over. Yeah, no, he was absolutely a great angel. Did have a did have a really nice bounce back career in Milwaukee um, and, right. and Detroit right. by the end of the year by Detroit. the end of his career. But you know, was never was never the same in Queens, and that could be said for a lot of guys. But yeah, oh, you go down the line there. Yeah, I mean, Roberto Alomar was is a second. If we're going to talk about Jackie, talk about Joe Morgan. I. There were not too many that were better than Roberto Alomar right. until he right. came to Shea. Until he came to till he came to Queens and uh. finally, I did uh, I did write down uh, a GM, a manager, a bench coach, a pitching coach, and a hitting coach. Uh, my GM would be Theo Epstein. I don't think there's any argument that Theo Epstein is probably the best general manager that has ever existed, getting the Red Sox and the Cubs to break their curses. Sorry, I'm taking Theo. Right. My manager. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah, Mosellock, though, you know, for a Cardinals team that doesn't, you know, they don't spend a ton of money. Um, the Cardinals are always in the running. I like Mosellock a okay. lot. And then Brian Sabian mm-hmm. of the San Francisco Giants for 2010, 2012, 2014. Right. You can't ignore that guy's name as well. Sure. Agreed. My manager, and this is more a uh, this is more a, a, a chuckle and a tip of the cap to one of my favorite managers of all time that I never got to see in person. It's Earl Weaver. I absolutely <laughs> love sure. Earl Weaver. I love the, the video of him arguing with the umpire. Yeah. And just That's fantastic. Best. His bench That's coach. That his, is one of the best arguments in baseball history. Agreed. Still. Yeah, agreed. His bench coach, and I assume that, you know, Earl Weaver would probably get thrown out of a game or two in this series just based on the fact that he's managing this team with this kind of uh, this kind of lineup. His bench coach is one of the best managers of all time. It's going to be Casey Stengel. Okay. You know, a guy who, a guy right. who I mean, holds sure. the record for most World Series rings as a manager. I don't think that record will ever be broken. Yeah, you know, he got a lot of hits for his in-game management, though. He got actually criticized a lot, Casey Stangle. Especially, mm-hmm. I mean, how he got things started for the New York Metropolitans. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he took a lot of hit in those early 60s for that. Because that team was just not that good until all of a sudden 69 happened. You right. 
that I, I it's hard to ignore how great Bobby Cox was for the Braves. He was he was a, he was in the run. division titles. I realize only one championship out of it. But I mean, even after they find, then he comes back with the, I mean, 2010, they go to the playoffs. That was him saying goodbye. Finally, um, mm-hmm. they lost to the Giants in the first round that year. But I mean, just so much success and was able, there was all these different guys that came along the way, like Andrew Jones, mm-hmm. um, Brian Jordan, Javi Lopez. Yeah. I mean, it just seems whoever he had, like he turned to gold, he turned into a great player, Rafael Furcal. Right. I mean, right. he had a way with his players and he really, really cared about his players. Uh, Tony La Russa is another guy. It's another guy and, that was in the uh, running, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, he just, he was really, really connected with his ball players. Kind of, you could argue, he was an over-manager, but he had it all thought out. I mean, this was a guy that was actually was a lawyer. I mean, mm-hmm. Tony LaRusso was just incredible, you know, and um, Joe Torre developed as a manager, I think. Uh, I do think uh, being in the American League, it, it's a little bit easier to manage yes. in-game in the American League than the National League. Maybe those fans of the junior circuit would argue with me, but I think you and I being National League purist-type fans, we feel like that's a harder type of in-game management. So I kind of lean towards the National League guys more. Mm-hmm. I could agree with all of that, that that you just said. You know, all three of those guys you mentioned, Cox, Larusa, and Tori, were all in the running for these for these jobs. But at the end of the day, I went old school. I felt like this is this is a team that is that is rather young, and you you pointed that out when I went right. through my lineup. So I wanted to have you know a bit of an older feel in the manager. A veteran role. guy. Yeah, exactly. a Canella would be good too. Then Canella is a good option too. The pitching coach I'm bringing along with Casey Stengel from his time with the Yankees. That's going to be Jim Turner. Jim Turner had a 24 okay, wow. year he had a 24 year span as pitching coach for both the Yankees and the Reds and won 10 pennants in that time. I'll give it wow. to you. Yeah. Um, and finally, okay, the hitting. I'm going with Rick Peterson just because I know he wouldn't take off the jacket. There's that. I mean, when when he's an 85 year old man, he's going to be wearing that jacket in 100 degree weather. That's why I'm Exactly, exactly. Finally, the hitting coach, one of the best hitters of all time, and a solid hitting coach. It's gonna be Rod Carew. I thought that was a okay. I thought that would be a good good all choice right. there. I like that one. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, for yours, I'd actually want a backup catcher that is a backup catcher. You know, not Johnny Bench. Someone who actually was through his career a backup catcher and was great at it. You're talking about a guy like Jeff Mathis. You're talking like just nowadays. I'm picking names, but like Jeff Mathis, Martin Maldonado, uh, Joe Girardi's a good option there as well. You know, yeah, there's a good one. Girardi's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah Mike uh, Matheny. Mike Matheny's another one. Oh sure. Yeah. Uh, who um, who was uh, Wakefield's personal catcher for a while? Was Doug Mirabelli. Mirabelli for one. Yeah, Doug Mirabelli for a long time. Um, I don't remember who it was before that, though. Let me take a look. Yeah, he wasn't. Oh, you know what? Um, Scott Hatterberg, though, you know, he actually, you know, of course, if you've seen Moneyball, they trans- transitioned to first base. Right. But I think he was actually the backup. Rivera Tech was the backup to him. Right. Uh, yeah, it was Doug Mirabelli until he retired. Josh Bard, uh, Kevin Cash. George Kataris, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Benny, this has been an unbelievable show. We've gone over an hour. Thank you so much for being here, buddy. Oh, well, thanks for having me. 
a uh, happy opening day. Alas, it's a brutal one for us. And let's just hope to see baseball soon, Joe. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for being here. If you've, uh, if you've, if you're watching us on YouTube, go ahead and give us a subscription. If you're listening to us on any one of the audio uh, platforms, go ahead and share this with your friends. It's opening day. Let's try to make as much of this as we possibly can, despite the fact that the sport that we love is on hiatus. If you're watching us on YouTube, again, thank you so much. Give us a like and a subscription. Go ahead and check out uh, the subscription button will be right about here. And go ahead and check out our last video. We did talk about the coronavirus. That video is going to be right here. Until next time, it's been real, it's been fun, and it's always real fun in the bigs. We'll see you next time. Happy opening day.